I'm Nala Ayed, host of Ideas. In this age of clickbait and online shouting, Ideas is a meeting ground for people who want to deepen their understanding of the world. Join me as we crack open a concept to see how it plays out over place and time and how it matters today. From the rise of authoritarianism to the history of cult movies, no idea is off limits. Ideas is on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. I was watching the Golden Globes the other night. I don't know if you were watching the, the Golden Globes, but I was, I was watching it. And I was really struck by the speech from the actor Lily Gladstone. So she was accepting her award for her acting in the movie Killers of the Flower Moon. And um, she spoke some of her Blackfeet language. And then she said something like, In this business, Indigenous actors used to speak their lines in English, and then the sound mixers would run them backwards to accomplish native languages on camera. And it was talked about afterwards as a reminder of how far things have come, but also like how much work there is still yet to do. When I saw that speech by Lily, I I couldn't stop thinking about this moment I had uh, with the director, Sidney Freeland. And towards the end of our conversation, we had this kind of very sober conversation about this new set of indigenous films and TV shows. And Sydney was at the same time hopeful and realistic. So let me just give you some background here. Sydney is the director of a new Marvel miniseries. It's called Echo. It's based on the Native American character of Echo from the comic books. And in the show, you hear a lot of Choctaw language, and you see the story of a Native American family and community. I should also mention, it's the first uh, Marvel story to focus on a deaf lead character in the MCU, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And when you watch Echo, I mean, it's great. And you you see a lot of sign language, American sign language, and there are action scenes done in almost pure silence. It's really beautiful. And it's just like nothing else you've ever seen at this scale before. Sydney, if you don't know her, is an Emmy-nominated film and TV writer. She's worked on uh, shows like Rutherford Falls, Grey's Anatomy, and Star Trek. She's a director, too. But yeah, back to what I was saying at the beginning of this thing. Um, We start out talking about her life growing up on the Navajo Reservation in New Mexico. We talk about reading comics and and movie and TV and film. We talk about all the work she did to make sure this Echo story was done right. A lot of consultation with the Choctaw Nation, making sure they, they got involved and felt respected. And as I mentioned, towards the end... We talk a little bit about this so-called moment in indigenous film and TV, and it certainly is a moment, but we talk about Sydney's hopes that it's not just a moment. The new series Echo is available today on Disney Plus and Hulu. If you're not already subscribed to our podcast, please do so. Q with Tom Power, and you can reach the show, Q at cbc.ca. Here's my conversation with Sydney Freeland. Hi, Sydney. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So the Echo is based on the, a comic book character. Did you grow up um, reading comics? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I grew up reading uh, Marvel comic books. Um, uh, grew up in the eighties and nineties. I remember thinking as a as a teenager, I was like, "Oh man, so much, so much really make these into movies." You know, <laughs> never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined something like the MCU being possible. Um, but you know, I think you know certainly grew up reading reading comic books and i think the echo character came came she was introduced in 1999 1998 1998 so it was a little bit after my i'd sort of grown out of that comic book phase but um yeah it was was aware of her sort of like uh, on the periphery when when did when did you become sort of aware of her on the periphery um it would have been you know, you sort of, you sort of, because there's so little like Native American representation, you kind of hear about every character, you yeah. know? Um, so I want to say, I want to say like kind of early 2000s, 
And then, and it wasn't until it wasn't until the the um, the series got picked up that I, I realized, like, oh, wow, they're going to make an entire series uh, based on this character. When did you go back and have a look at the original comics to get ready to make this? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first thing I did. What did you make of it when you when you went back and read those sort of early comic books that you were on the? Peri- I can see you smiling there. You were sort of on the periphery of what did you make of it? Well, I mean, if you look at the first comic book run, right? It's it's beautifully illustrated. It's it's um, got these wonderful watercolor backdrops, and they've got this like great. The character is is portrayed as as um, uh, from the Blackfeet tribe um, uh, in 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 the, in the U.S. and but she's kind of Blackfeet in name only. You know, um, and then there's also like some very cool Native American imagery and iconography, um, but it's just that it's just cool imagery. There isn't like specificity behind it, and that's not a fault of the of the illustrators or the or the, the writers of the comic book in you know 1999, 1998. But but I think that was one of the things that that really jumped out at me is like it's like oh this is a very just sort of generic pan pan um, pan indigenous sort of like expression of a character. I mean, it must have been exciting for you to take this on. I mean, my next question for you is, why did you want to take this on? But hearing sort of what you recognize is, okay, well, there's things that need to change here. There's things that need to be a little bit different here. I can see it must have been exciting for you to take it on. Oh, yeah, it was exciting. It was terrifying. It was um, you know, everything in between, you know. Um, it, it was, It was. I think, again, just, just as a as a fan uh, of, of both the comic books and the MCU, it was, it was a very surreal experience, you know, and I think... I I remember in, in in pitching the project, you know, when you first come aboard a project you like this, you you pitch to the studio your vision, your intent with the series and how it's gonna look and feel and, and um uh, so on and so forth. And so uh in one of the first conversations with Kevin, I sort of explained to him, like, listen, I grew up reading comic books and I grew up going to powwows, but those two things never overlapped or intersected with each other. And um and so to have a chance to to smash those two aspects of just my personal experience together was an incredible incredibly exciting and surreal sort of moment. And the response was like, yes, lean into that. All those things go, go, go. And and lean into the specificity of it. I mean, um, I've had a lot of conversations on, on this show um, with indigenous creators who have been sort of tasked by non-indigenous producers to um how do i put this like to represent all of indigeneity through their work you know like to to represent like a, the broad swath of you know so-called you know indigenous culture or, or or native american culture through through their work um i find the story of how you approach this really interesting so like your 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 navajo um the character is is choctaw and you went to Choctaw communities and and had conversations with them around around how to tell the story authentically, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, when I first came on board the project, we did two things. One was like like you're you're saying is like I'm Navajo, I'm not Choctaw, and so it was very important for me that we were able to engage the Choctaw Nation and do two things. One was ask the permission, which you know sadly is is sort of an afterthought with a lot of sort of Native American yeah. indigenous stories. And to Marvel's credit, they, they, they really backed that. And they said, okay, we understand what you're trying to do. Let's, let's fly the department heads out to Oklahoma. Um, let's meet with the Choctaw nation. Um, and, and so really it was, it was, I wanted to meet with them to one, ask their permission and then two, create a dialogue. Right. Because um, even though I'm not Choctaw, I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, be authentic with our portrayal of the culture and the language and, and, and some of the traditions and also the history as well, too. Um, and 
because we did that so early on, um, they actually became like just these absolutely invaluable collaborators with us. And I, I feel like the series is better for it. And we made all these great sort of amazing discoveries along the way um, that just lent itself to telling the story in a more authentic manner. Can you give an example of that? Like, can you can you point to a specific or can you give me a specific example of something in the show that like I've seen or, or people will see when they watch this that came from like, oh, this came from consultations or like conversations with, with, with Choctaw folks to be like, you got to get this in there. Um, so without, without spoiling anything, you know, like in, in the first episode, the very first scene, like we, we, um, uh, minor spoilers, but we, we, we get a version of the Choctaw creation story. And, um, you know, that was one of the things that was very, we had many, many conversations about and, and how do we portray stuff? What do we show? What do we don't show? Or what do we not show? You know, um, uh, with this creation story. And and really that's where the Choctaws were so invaluable because we were telling this version of a creation story um, and they would sort of like, they were working with us because again, creatively, we're also telling a story, right? And so we're not making a public service announcement. So there is a creative aspect involved. And there is, I think this is for me where the exciting part comes in is because we were sort of like trying to push the envelope, but before we push the envelope, we wanted to define where the envelope was, you know? And so for them, they understood that. And, and in our conversations, they would say, well, okay, well, this actually, this is the sacred part of this creation story. And we would, we would prefer that you don't show this. Great. Okay, cool. Let's find a creative solution to, to get um, a similar um, uh, uh, story beat of that um, uh, communicated. And, and again, it was just sort of this, it was a very much a yes and kind of collaboration with them. So I think uh, right off the bat, the first scene of the, of the series is, is, a, is a perfect example of that. It's, I mean, it's really exciting. I could talk to you about that forever. I want to, I want to talk about another, like another part of the, um, another part of the show. I, I mentioned this a little bit in, in the introduction, which was sort of the, some of the, the portrayal of audio during the, some of, some of the fight scenes. But before I get that, so I want to just remind people that, um, this is a, this is a, a Marvel show that, you know, centers a, a, a character who's deaf as the, as the lead character. My understanding is before we get to like the, 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 how you did it, you learned ASL, American Sign Language for for this is that right? Uh, correction, I attempted to learn. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, I, no, uh, an attempt was was made to learn ASL, and I think you know, I think Alak would probably, I would be, I would be extremely happy if she um, uh, said I could sign at a kindergarten level, you know. Um, but again, I think you know, authenticity being so important to myself and in my crew. You know, another one of the first things that we did when I came on board is that I, I started taking ASL classes. My crew started taking ASL classes and in some cases, you know, weekly, in some cases bi-weekly. And, you know, for myself, it was just important that I was able to have some um, some way of communicating with Alakwa. And, and so much of the director-actor relationship is being able to look each other in the eye and and and, and grasp the emotional uh, intent uh, of a moment, of a scene, of, of, of a, you know, of a line. Um, and so for me, it was just really about being able to just, just connect with her and, and look her in the eye and have some basic, you know, sort of language. And that's, you know, from that, um, uh, so many positive things came, came, came out of that. And in some cases, the studying ASL actually ended up dictating our entire visual style. Um, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about the, um, a little bit about y- your story before we before we run out of time. Um, growing up, what sort of 
because you said something to me at the very beginning that's, that's sticking with me. You said, Echo came out years after I had stopped reading comic books. And I said, well, when did you first hear about Echo? And you said, at that stage, there was so little Native American representation that if anything happened, you you found out about it. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like when you were coming up watching TV and, and film, what what sort of representation were you seeing? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's night and day. I mean, I think, you know, growing up, it was any time there was a documentary about, you know, the Native Americans, you know, we all gather around the TV and we watch, you know, it's like, oh, wow, are they going to show the Navos? You know, of course they are. We're the biggest tribe in the U.S. But, um, you know, I, I think it was, it, you know, it, representation was so few and far between. You know, we had kind of the Mount Rushmore of, you know, Graham Greene, um, uh, Tantu Cardinal, Irene Bedard and West Studi. And then they were kind of in everything, you know, it was like, and really it was Dances with Wolves. It was Nelson Mohicans, it was Pocahontas. Like that was kind of it, um, uh, and then you know other other sort of and then smoke signals, of course. Hey, Victor, sorry to hear about your dad. You need a ride? Oh yeah. Hey, Thomas, need a ride? Too bad. What are you gonna trade for it? We're Indians, remember? We barter. So those that basically I just basically summarized the entire '90s, you know. Uh, of native representation um and then you know and then just speaking for myself like when i when i moved in the film you know it was it was just like it was it was fighting tooth and nail just to get something made anything made you know um and there's always there's always been creative interest right it's like oh it's native american people are so fascinating and we'd love to tell the we'd love to tell these stories but there you didn't have the financial interest backing that right and so i think there's been this sort of like uh, change in the past, you know, four or five years with shows like Rutherford Falls and, and Reservation Dogs. Are you crazy horse or sitting? No, no, no. I'm not one of those awesome guys. No, I'm more of your, uh, I'm more of your unknown warrior. And, you know, prey. It knows how to hunt. I know how to survive. Um, you know, where you're getting you're getting creative interest, but you're also getting the financial backing to support that as well, too. I, I want to come back to that that sort of like finan the financial backing and, and people actually doing the investment in a second. But I, I don't want to skip over what you said there because you said, you know, yeah, it was, you know, it was Last of the Mohicans and it was Dances with Wolves and that was kind of it. That was kind of for the 90s. And then you just kind of said, even when I got into film, I had to do But like, where does that come from? Where does that come from in you to be like, OK, well, I want to be part of the storytelling now i want to be part of either fixing that or is it is it fixing that is it trying to get different stories told oh um you know it's it's i would say for myself it was really actually kind of kind of bringing back around the comic books is is i i loved drawing you know i love drawing i would often get in trouble for drawing in high school um and then when i went away to college i i discovered that people could major in this 
Um, and, uh, and again, filmmaking is not even something that's remotely on the radar. It's not even a concept I can comprehend. Uh, you know, I grew up on the Navajo reservation, you know, it's like, there's no iPhones, no, you know, there, there was no, uh, filmmaking presence whatsoever. And so finally, ultimately, you know, um, took a class called film filmmaking and in my final year of college. And it was sort of like, I don't know what this is, but I want to do this. Um, and, and so really it wasn't like, it wasn't like I grew up watching Raiders of the Lost Ark and I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. It was more falling in love with the process of, of filmmaking. Um, and so for me, it was really, I don't know what this is, but I want to do this, you know? And so there wasn't a correlation between watching those movies growing up and then, and then sort of like, um, making or a desire to go into, into the film industry. Um, it sort of happened kind of like uh, somewhat organically. Like, but when does it happen that you go, all right, well, I, I want to be a filmmaker, but I think there's, I think there's some stories not being told here about Native American folks in, in, in about indigenous folks in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, uh, I think first of all, it was, it was just really, really coming from a place of like, okay, I don't know what this is, but I want to do this. Then it's just like about learning and absorbing as much as you can. You know, I hurled myself into film school um, uh, to give you an idea of how ignorant I was, I didn't even know people would get paid to work on film sets, you know, <laughs> that was I mean, yes, a fun you know, volunteer summer camp thing to do. Yeah. But that's where I was coming from because I just love being on film sets and I wanted to, I want to get back on there. And, you know, of course, you know, actors, you know, actors make millions of dollars, you know, directors make millions of dollars, but that's kind of where my, my, my knowledge stopped and my ignorance began. Um, and, and so, in film school, and I was, I was I was very fortunate to have a wonderful screenwriting professor, and you know she kind of taught taught me the basics. You know, there's a sort of a saying in screenwriting is like write what you know, and 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 then she really kind of encouraged me to kind of find my own voice and and tell tell those stories that people aren't hearing because in our conversations, it's like well the reservation is like this, and there's so many unique interesting things going on, and it's not being told, and no one's shining a light on these things. And she would say write that write that, tell that story, put that story on paper, put that story on paper, make it into a script, try to get it made. Um, and and that's, that was really sort of the, 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 the jumping off point for me. I'm Tom Power. You're listening to Q. Coming up, more of my conversation with director Sidney Freeland. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now, what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. To, and, and to go back to what you were saying about like um, there was always interest in telling stories about you know Native American stories in or indigenous stories in in North America, was there funding behind it? You know, was there long and and was there long term interest? Is what I'm always finding interesting about that. Like I had a conversation with Dennis Goulet. You know, Dennis. Uh, yeah, we all know each other. I had a conversation with Dennis about this, and Dennis said something to me about like she said like Tom like there were moments where we felt like, oh, everyone's ready to fund indigenous stories. 
to fund the telling of Indigenous stories and to fund Indigenous creators. And we'd get like eight months or we get like a year and a half and it, it would feel like a moment and a blip or a trend and it would just kind of go away. And I, I, she, I'll spoil it. She kind of said to me, this feels not like that. This feels like it might be sustaining. So when you mentioned like Reservation Dogs, Rutherford Falls, which you've, you've worked on both of them, Prey, you mentioned that. I know you have this new res ball, which I'm really excited about that you're doing with Sterling Harjo and like LeBron James is involved in that or something like that. Yeah, he's an executive producer. How cynical are you, maybe, is the question. Are you, are you feeling like this is a sustainable moment? Yeah, I think, I think time will tell, right? Um, I, like, this is just me just, just venturing to guess, but I think it's, you know, like, the key will be is whether we can survive this sort of contraction that's kind of come post-strike, right? You know, there was, what, 599 scripted shows 600 scripted shows last year and then the strike happened and there's going to be there's going to be a contraction that's going to happen right and i think that in that sort of that peak tv world you know people were looking for stories everywhere they were looking for you know it's like um you know like oh let's let's find stories that haven't been told yet and and so many great things came out of that um out of that you know obviously rutherford falls and reservation dogs as well too um uh came out of that and and i think it's sort of like the audience has always been there, but then the 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 outside world wasn't making that connection. You know, yeah. I think I remember one story that Sterling Sterling sort of shared um, the, when the first season of Reservation Dogs aired. Um, he said, like about halfway, I think halfway through the season, the the episodes aired, and and um, he was saying like, yeah, the Hulu executives came to us and they were saying like, we're getting all of these like spikes in audience viewership from like these random places in the United States. Montana, um, North Dakota, <laughs> South Dakota, Oklahoma, yeah. uh, Minnesota, New Mexico, Arizona, Washington, like so random. And and he had to tell me, those are all places where there are reservations. And those are all places where you have indigenous uh, people and audiences. And it was like this light bulb moment for people like, oh, wow, there are people, there are, in, there are audiences that will watch indigenous content. And it was like something that they had to be shown in order to see, in order to, in order to um, uh, sort of understand. And I think that that aspect is what makes me hopeful for for more indigenous stories because it's like the audience is absolutely there. And even I'm I'm just talking about the United States, but of course in Canada, there's a huge indigenous population. Um, And um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm extremely hopeful. And I think again, just knowing the, the creative voices and, and, and talents um, behind the camera um, on, on those shows I mentioned, um, you know, I think there's, you know, hopefully we're, we're just in the beginning phases of a, of a big movement. For folks who have seen it, who are sort of out of that critical and in, in, in business and media world, maybe for, from folks who are part of the communities that are represented in Echo, has anyone said anything to you after watching it that's been particularly meaningful? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think just, just for me personally, um, one of the things I'm most proud of is that we got to do our first public screening um, at the Choctaw Nation, um, and um, with with uh, uh, people people there and people from the community. Um, uh, it was funny because there's a, there's a there's a casino in the in the series, and we were watching the series in the casino. And so at the end of the first episode, people could see the casino in the background of the theater we were watching it in. Um, but um, I think the the response from the from the Choctaw Nation has been overwhelmingly positive, and you know you know obviously you you want to tell a good story, but to have that have that um, resonate in, in such a positive manner was was so um, 
personally fulfilling for myself because you know what we set out to do i think we 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 managed to to accomplish in that manner um and i think the one of the things i'm most jealous of is is actually chief batten who's the the um who's the chief of the choctaw nation he coined a term i'm so jealous of um because he, he you know we screened during their annual powwow and at the powwow he sort of addressed you know whatever 1200 people that were in attendance and he says you know i just had the, i just had the chance to watch the first couple episodes of marvel's new series echo and I'm not going to say this is Marvel's first Native American um, uh, hero, the first Native American villain. This is Marvel's first deaf Native American badass. <laughs> and, um, uh, and and I, I was I was like, oh yeah, it's such a good term. Um, so yeah, it was uh, that kind of sums up the experience. Sydney, uh, lovely to meet you. Congrats on the show. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a bit of a cold. I don't think I knew I had a bit of a cold. I think I thought I was getting away with having a bit of a cold there. Sydney Freeland is the director of the new Marvel series Echo. It's streaming now on Disney Plus and on Hulu. And that's it for us. The other conversation we have today is with the uh, Canadian virtuoso pianist Bruce Liu. When I talked to Bruce Liu, it was like a story. Hey, it was a vibe that I've never had before of a virtuoso pianist, like super chill dude. And, you know, most of these virtuoso pianists you talk to, they... I don't know, they, you know, they slept underneath their piano from ages like 10 to 17. And, you know, their only friends were their dog that they named Chopin. And they, you know, they practiced piano for like 33 hours a day. Bruce Liu, very chill. It was more of a hobby to him growing up. His dad wouldn't buy him a good piano until he showed that he was serious about it. And now he's the first Canadian to win, like, the Olympics of classical music, the most prestigious piano competition in the world, the International Chopin Competition. Bruce will be here for a very chill conversation. Go check that out wherever you got this podcast. See you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.